0: We'll talk a bit about the Bank of Canada monetary policy coming up after 1130 Bank of Canada governor giving a speech today we'll keep an eye on that but is the Bank of Canada communicating with Canadians to the extent that it should do Canadians really understand all that's gone into these decisions throughout the year we'll talk about that after 1130 Uh, off the top in this hour bill one passed the Alberta legislature last week the Alberta sovereignty within a United Canada Act all that uh, remains now is royal assent for the bill to come into force, that will happen. It is typically a formality, although as uh, we noted today, uh, there are some First Nations chiefs who are calling on the lieutenant governor to withhold that royal assent. That's not in the cards, I don't think. I don't know that this warrants a constitutional crisis, but it does suggest maybe that if there's opposition from First Nations, we could see a possible Section 35 challenge of this legislation. I mean, it feels like maybe this is all destined for the courts, you know, in terms of whether this law is going to be used, whether it should, what it might actually achieve. There's there's all of those questions. But I mean, is this constitutional? Like I said earlier, I mean, originally, as written, the Alberta Sovereignty Act was aimed to be unconstitutional on purpose, as one of the authors put it. But what we got in legislation is not quite as it was first proposed. Is Alberta asking uh, for the, the power, demanding the power to ignore or nullify federal laws, to ignore the courts? At first glance, it doesn't appear as though that's the case. Now, there's maybe some gray area in between cooperating and helping to uh, you know, implement a federal law versus following it or, or enforcing it. So where does this all go from here? There may be a court reference. Perhaps we'll, we'll see a testing court once or if this, this power is put to use. Uh, there was a piece recently uh, up at the Hub.ca. Uh, this was before the bill passed, uh, noting that it appears to be constitutional, the author said. Uh, follow-up uh, post from uh, these two authors in the National Post uh, saying that the, uh, the act appears constitutional but does need some nuance, that, that removing the controversial Henry VIII clauses was a positive step. So joining us to talk about some of the constitutional issues around this is one of the authors uh, of these two articles that we mentioned, um, Jesse Harderay, He's a lawyer and incoming Ph.D. candidate at Melbourne Law School, uh, co-authored uh, with Jeffrey Sigalett uh, from the UBC Center for Constitutional Law. Jesse, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob. Uh,
0: the point about a Section 35 challenge, that hasn't come up as, as much in this whole context, but did you see that as a, as a possibility?
1: Um, th- that's an interesting issue. Certainly, it, it depends, uh, and that's sort of the lawyerly answer there for you, mm-hmm. but um, certainly from the perspective of legislation, there is a Supreme Court case that says there's no duty to consult with Indigenous peoples during the legislative process. So it is, it's something that normally applies to the executive branch in its decision-making. Um, so whether or not Um, that will apply will depend on how the act is operationalized in practice. So at the moment, um, it's hard for me to see a challenge on that. On that ground, um, but that doesn't mean a challenge isn't possible in the future. It just really depends how the government decides to operationalize the yeah. Sovereignty Act.
0: Yeah, which makes sense. Um, it is interesting, as I noted, I mean, you know, the, the idea first proposed of, of nullification and ignoring the court yeah. seems wildly unconstitutional, but I, that, I don't think that's what we have now, is it?
1: No, and, and and this is the sort of the context to this, is that I had originally written uh, an article in October um, sort of saying that some of the parts of the initial proposal that was in the Free Alberta strategy and some of the comments coming from the Premier appeared to veer into unconstitutional territory. But in that same piece... i I said you know there is a different path and some of the more recent comments at that time from the premier seemed to indicate that they were going down this different road Um, and so when the bill came out uh, in its current form it seemed to track that approach so so instead of saying we're going to violate federal laws or we're going to ignore court rulings um, certainly the language coming out of the premier's office and the information sheet surrounding the bill said that it was targeted to non-enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, so my co-author and I, in, in our two pieces, sort of deduced that intention from the, the text of the act itself. Um, and, and so it, it certainly seems like the intent behind the legislation is to focus on the constitutional aspects um, and to avoid the more blatantly unconstitutional elements.
0: Okay, which is a pretty significant difference then.
1: Right, exactly. Because, I mean, what you're saying here, and, and for context for your listeners, I mean, when you're, when a province is saying it will decline to enforce federal laws, that means the federal government can do so itself, right? Mm-hmm. So it can come in with its own, it has its own executive branch, its own public servants, its own officials. So, it, you, you can't escape federal law. Um, it, it still applies. It's just the province saying, you know, we're not going to do your bidding for you. If you want to implement this and to enforce it, you're going to have to do it yourself with your own funds. Um, we're not going to participate in that. Um, the, the Free Alberta strategy seems to go a step further and say we're going to try to prevent The federal government from applying its laws we're going to try to essentially you know wave a magic wand to make it seem as though federal laws just don't apply in alberta Um, and that's just something that you can't do Um, but i should say this doesn't mean that the proposal is ineffective right so there are many examples throughout canadian history of a province refusing to enforce federal laws um, and, and it's been actually quite effective. So the best example that we have is Quebec in the 1970s and 80s declined to sort of prosecute abortion cases um, and basically said to the federal government, like, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do it yourself. And the federal government just declined to do it because they didn't want to get into that that political battle. Um, and so it I, seems to me that that is what the premier and the government are angling for, that they are. They, they're sort of one of refuse to enforce and, and see the reaction they're going to get from Ottawa.
0: Sure. And as you say, then there's, there's no constitutional obligation on provinces to cooperate with the federal government in that sense. So is Bill 1 even necessary? I mean, you know, like you alluded to, it seems like the Alberta government could, depending on the circumstances, say, no, we're, we're not going to cooperate with that. Is Bill 1 essentially just a symbolic way of declaring that intention?
1: Yeah, so it's certainly not necessary. It's a power that the provinces already have, um, and and they exercise it depending on the case. Um, I I think um, the intention with this bill was to do so in a very public way um, by having the legislature vote on resolutions. Um, And so it, it sort of sets it up for a political... Battle, rightly or wrongly, um, uh, and so that—that's sort of what what their their purpose is, I think, with this. But in addition to that, I mean, normally when a province refuses to enforce federal laws, it just just does so, right? It doesn't offer a reason for doing so. It just, you know, sometimes it can be we don't have the resources, or we've decided to invest more money in this, and so we're not going to be doing this work for you. Um, in this case, they want to have declarations, right, that certain federal laws. Um, are unconstitutional. So, it, not only is it a public process, um, it, it's a public process that also makes a judgment on on certain federal laws. So, I think it's it's not powers that right. It's it's just codifying powers that already exist. But it it's it's a political tool, right? Um, so it's being it's a power that's being used in a different way than it has been historically. Right.
0: Well, I can I can see that with, you know, criminal code matters where either, you know, right. the police deprioritize or we tell provincial prosecutors that, you know, don't bother prosecuting these cases, but outside of the criminal code would it typically be the case that provinces would be tasked with implementing or enforcing federal law?
1: Um, it It can happen, so there are there are a couple of cases at least in in Canadian history that usually um, relate to sort of marketing of products so the provinces have jurisdiction over intra-provincial trade, and the federal government has jurisdiction over sort of interprovincial provincial um, and international trade. Um, and so you, there are cases from the Supreme Court where you have the federal government essentially saying, well, the province already has a body to you know, regulate this trade, and so we're going to also give them the authority. To regulate the interprovincial aspects of it, and so it just makes it easier for everyone. We have an integrated scheme. the province takes care of it. The, the, the federal government maybe transfers some funds to assist with that. Um, so there are certainly examples outside the criminal context. The most recent one would have been the securities um, legislation, where the provinces and the federal government tried to come together to create an integrated scheme. Um, So it happens on occasion, but you're right to say that it it doesn't always happen, right? Uh, The the federal government has its own telecommunications law, and they have their own body, the CRTC, to administer and enforce that, Um, and it's the case for a variety of other federal agencies. Um, But every now and then there's a topic where there's sort of an overlap, right, where the provinces are somewhat involved, and so rather than the federal government doing it by itself itself, they prefer an integrated approach um, it, it, on those issues
0: are, are there are there legal issues that come into play if we're involving uh, you know corporations or private entities like if, if businesses are told um, you know you don't have to meet those federal environmental targets. Or, you know, the premier specifically over the weekend mentioned the uh, incoming prohibition on single-use plastics that we could tell Alberta companies, no, you should ignore that federal law and go ahead and import or manufacture, you know, plastic straws. Does that get us into uh, constitutionally troubled ground?
1: Well, so yes and no. So I should back up to say, um, of course, the province can't say to a company, you don't need to follow this federal law. Um, they that's just not something they can do as a constitutional matter what the province can say is we're not gonna prosecute you or we're not Mm -hmm. going to enforce this law the federal government if they want to do it they should do so now in practice right if the province says we're not going to be doing this anymore and the federal government doesn't step in to enforce the law itself then on the ground um, it's as though that federal law didn't apply Right? And so a business could just, could just do that um, and, and there would be no restriction on that. But if the federal government decides to step in and enforce its own law, um, there's nothing that can stop them from doing so. Right. Um, so I guess, I guess I would just quibble with the wording that the, that the province, all the province can do is sort of just step back and say, we're not getting involved. We're not going to stand in your way. If you want to move forward with, you know, let's say, the straws, um, but we're also not standing in the way of the federal government if they want to do it. Um, but that's a decision they have to make.
0: Yeah, yeah that makes uh, sense. Yeah. And I guess so some of the wording in the laws that pertains to provincial agencies, uh, it, yeah. it, it does it seem like it's more along than the, the non-enforcement lines as you read it?
1: Yeah, so in our two articles, uh, my co-author and I, Jeff Sigalit, um, uh, sort of outline that there's an ambiguity or there, there's a potentially different interpretation. Now, our view is, our, our view is informed by the context so the, the premier and her public statements and the information sheet surrounding the bill suggest that it's really limited to non enforcement And we say that on one reading of the act that's what it that's what it says however we note that there's an ambiguity um, specifically with respect to provincial entities that there's a possibility that it could be read as allowing um, provincial officials to break the law um, we don't believe that that's what the Act does, but we acknowledge that that's one possible reading. Um, but it will depend on how it's operationalized, right? So we're having a discussion about this legislation in the abstract, um, which is also why my co-author and I use the word appear. right? It's, it's hard to say right now how it will be applied. But certainly if the province decides to apply the legislation in a way that allows provincial officials to break the law, then that will be unconstitutional and the courts will intervene to prevent that. Um, But if all it does and all it does in practice is, is not enforce federal laws, then that will be totally constitutional.
0: Yeah, that's some interesting points. We'll leave it there. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate the insight on all this.